We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us to come to worship together, to, to honor you on the Lord's day. And Father, we pray for those who are unable to be here this morning due to illness. And Father, we pray also that you prepare the hearts of those that are not yet in church, but God, that you would allow us, your church, to reach out to individuals with the gospel of Christ and Lord, that they would become a part of this universal body of Christ that you sent Jesus Christ to die for. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the book of Galatians and and the messages that we are going to be treading through and ask that you give a blessing upon these messages and ask that you fill me and empower me with the Holy Spirit that I might speak your truth and And through all of this, Lord, I pray that your people would be encouraged, challenged, and that they would grow in their faith in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that you had a great week. Um, I know for our family it's been a challenging week as we've been in fighting these sicknesses, but the Lord has been gracious to us as we've started to see some healing take place. And and so for those that uh, may be joining us for the first time, I know there are a few of you here this morning. We've been working through the book of Galatians, and um, I believe that uh, teaching the word exegetically is the best way to, to preach the word because it, it doesn't allow us to skip over uh, difficult topics. We have to confront them. It allows us to really keep the context of the scripture of what's happening in the verses. And so this really protects us from reading something into the Scripture which we would say was eisegetical and allows us to exegete the Scripture, pull out what the author intended us to get. And so really that is the reason that we go verse by verse, book by book. And so we just finished up with First and Second Peter and now we're in the book of Galatians. And so last week, if you remember, if you were here, we began to look through Paul's introduction and you could really call it his greeting within the first five verses. And so we've been looking at the introduction, verses 1 to 9. Last week we looked at Paul's greeting. We saw the person of Paul, who Paul was, and his life change. And that we saw that if anybody, uh, doesn't matter your lifestyle, doesn't matter what you've become, doesn't matter what kind of person you are, God can save anybody at any time if He can save a man like Paul and use him for His glory. We saw the position of Paul as he claimed to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. We saw the place of Paul's ministry there in the churches of Galatia, that it's not a single church, but it's an area scattered with churches throughout the area of Galatia. And then lastly, we saw the presentation of Paul's greeting in which he really shares the gospel with us. And so today we're going to be looking at Paul's instruction to this very audience in which he's speaking of in verses 6 to 9. So if you will this morning, let us turn to our text. If you will, turn with me to the book of Galatians. Chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 6 to 9. I'm reading from the New American Standard. There are slides if you'd like to follow along. He reads this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, 
which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now, there are three things that I want us to get from this study this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first thing I want us to see is we see the perplexity of Paul in verse 6. Secondly, we see the principle of Paul in verse 7. And lastly, we see the proposition of Paul in verses 8 and 9. Now, Paul, interestingly here, doesn't start off like he normally would throughout his books that he's written. As he begins with an introduction or the greeting, and then we see this prayer formula that he, that he writes. But instead, we find something different here in Galatians. We see the perplexity of Paul. Paul is perplexed by what has taken place among the Galatian church. And so that's why we read, he says, I am, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of, our, of Christ for a different gospel. There is no prayer of thanksgiving. There is no blessing. He's straight into admonishment. And so Paul is astonished. You see, typically when we look at uh, the book of Romans, for an example, the, the introduction is, is quite a bit different. We see that he begins with the introduction of who he is, Paul, an apostle of Christ. But then we see right here in verse 8, he, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He begins with a prayer. And if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 there in the introduction, we see here again Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He tells us who he is. He introduces who he's writing to. And then in verse 4, he begins another prayer formula with, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given in Christ. And even if we flip over into Colossians, we, we begin to see the same kind of idea there in the beginning of Colossians. We see Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's consistent writing that to the saints who are faithfully brothers in Christ. And then we see in verse 3, we give thanks to God the Father our Lord. And so we see another prayer of thanksgiving. But something happens here in Galatians that's different. He skips right over that. We see his introduction, Paul, an apostle of Christ. But we find here, he's straight into admonishment. He skips over that prayer of thanksgiving or the blessings upon them. He's astonished by the fact that the churches of Galatia are falling away so quickly. These are... Not people that are unbelievers. These are Christian brothers and sisters that are changing their way of thinking. They are departing from good doctrine to bad doctrine. 
And they are leaving a certain way of thinking to another certain way of thinking. And our brother Paul is simply amazed. He's, he's marveling at the fact that they are falling away so quickly. And so we don't see again the good prayer of thanksgiving, but we see him straight into this admonishment. They are deserting God, the one who called them by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've spoke about grace over the last few weeks. You know, Lauren preached on grace and gave us a good picture of what grace looked like. And last Sunday we looked at another picture of grace and, and understanding that. But here we see that they are deserting Him. They are deserting God by the grace that's been given to them through Christ. Meta, meta tiseme, okay, is the, is, the, is the translation into the English deserting from the Greek. It means to have a change in, in mind, in allegiance. It means to change one's mind or to turn away or to desert. This type of turning away, listen, is a voluntary turning away. Nobody else can do it for you. These people were turning away by their own desires and their own decisions. And really, if we're going to look at it, it speaks of a military term in which uh, it speaks of a military desertion, which is considered punishable by death. Whatever the case, these Christians are deserting God who called them to Himself. Don't miss that in verse 6. As He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I, I wasn't with them after that went after God, and, and I was God who went after them. We see, we have to understand that it's not you or I who chases after God, it's God in His great mercy who chases after us. And God wants us to understand that He called these people unto Himself, and yet they're choosing to walk away from the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. This is a gospel that is only offered by God, and can only be given by grace and not gotten by, by, by any other means of man. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. All you can do is take hold of this free gift that's offered. And so this morning we need to ask ourselves as Christians this morning, do we truly understand the gospel message? Do we understand the gospel of grace and that what we received came from God and not from man? Now most of you here I can see, I know you, I know you understand the gospel, I know you know Jesus Christ, I know you know why Jesus Christ came, but there may be some who don't truly understand the gospel of grace. If you truly grasp that, then you will understand that you are no longer under the, the law, but under grace. And in, in understanding this truth that we're not locked under the law, but that we're living under the grace of Jesus Christ is freeing. It's liberating. It should set us free to know that, you know what, when we mess up, it's okay. We live under grace. That doesn't mean we should mess up more so grace should continue to expand. But when we do fail, because we all will, we live under the grace of Jesus Christ. These folks were deserting the gospel of grace, which was only given by God 
And they were exchanging it for the gospel of man, which is offered by man, which is a so-called different gospel. But hear me out this morning. This man-made gospel of our day that is infiltrating the churches all across America and across the world is nothing but of man. It's humanistic. It's self-exalting. And while the gospel of grace is all about God, it's Christ-exalting. And while we might not have, listen, these Judaizers in our day that are saying we need to partake in some type of circumcision so that we can be saved by by God or partake in some certain celebration or or, uh, observe certain laws in order to be saved, we might not have that in our day. It's not typically something we hear. We have our fair share of modern day Judaizers in our culture today. What we have to think about here in the context is the idea of human merit compared to God's grace. Man's work versus God's work. This is the major doctrinal issue here that we find in the book of Galatians. Man's work versus God's grace. In our modern day culture, that's what many professing believers claim to save them. What is it? Works. You know, it doesn't take but just a moment to spend some time asking people how sure on the scale from zero to a hundred are you that you're going to heaven. And I can promise you, if you do it ten times, you'll be amazed on how many times you'll hear, I'm a good person. Well, let me tell you this morning, that never saved anybody. Maybe you'll hear, well, I've never been to jail. That's never saved anyone. Maybe you'll hear, well, I give to the poor and help the needy. That never saved a soul. Actually, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. Have you ever thought of yourself as unclean? We've become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, like filthy garments. The greatest work that we can do, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, when I stand before the feet of Jesus Christ, I don't want to lay at the feet of Jesus filthy rags. I want to stand before Jesus Christ clothed in His righteousness. In His righteousness. So that when God sees me, He can see Jesus Christ in His holiness. Your works, listen this morning, I don't want to discourage you from doing good works. Your works are great unto the Lord. But let them be a byproduct of what God has done in your life. Let them be a byproduct of what God has done in you. Not the measure by which you are saved. Because there is only one work that is good enough to save us. And that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary's Hill. Paul was perplexed that these Christians had been deserting God for another gospel. And so, we need to ask ourselves, don't we sometimes desert God for other things? You know, I think if we look at the context and we ask ourselves the questions, we might not always desert God certain ways. But I don't know about you, but I find myself struggling in life, deserting God sometimes. 
Maybe sometimes we decide to skip out of church for something else. And we desert the Lord's day. Maybe we make a decision to sin when we know it's wrong. I don't know about you, but sometimes I make a decision that I know is not of God's will. And I desert the Lord in that. Maybe we choose to watch a movie that's filled with things that are not honoring to God, but more so, maybe dishonoring to God. You know, I've been wanting to watch a couple movies, and my wife and I are always looking at Plugged In Online to find out how many times a movie takes the Lord's name in vain. And if, if a movie takes the Lord's name in vain, we don't watch it. We miss out on a lot of good movies. Well, good in the sense that I really want to watch Iron Man, the new Iron Man. But when we looked at how dishonoring they are to God, should, should we give our time and efforts to that? Sometimes we do. And I think we turn away from the Lord when we do those things knowingly. How about when we don't pray? Because life is good, the checkbook is full, the refrigerator's good, and therefore life is good, and yet we forget about God. And we desert Him. Have you ever deserted God for worldly things? Listen, I'm just throwing a lot of ideas out there. I don't know where you are and the ways you desert God. Maybe I write these things because these are where I struggle with. But my point is I'm trying to make us understand that we need not look past and think this isn't for us. Because it's talking about deserting God. You know, there's a fishing tournament coming up here in this community in the next month or so. And I thought, man, I'd really like to fish in that tournament. And so I started doing some research on it. And, you know, I'm not a big pike fisherman. And, you know, we, we don't have those in the south. So trying to figure out how to catch these things. And do you need a boat? Do you not need a boat? We You know, we don't have a boat. And so, you know, so I'm trying to figure out all this. And I get excited. And I get all the details. I get my stuff ready. And then I start looking at the dates and the tournaments on the Saturday, Sunday. So I was thinking I was going to take off that Sunday and go fishing and Maybe somebody else could preach. Is that all right? Exactly. Now, I had a choice to make. And, and, and you know, fortunately, God has grown me in my, in my walk with Him. And I don't want to turn away from the worldly things for self-gratification when I can be in God's will, which is in church on Sunday. We need to be careful not to look past these verses believing they don't apply to our very lives we may not desert God on the gospel. We are a gospel-saturated culture. We hear it everywhere. But boy, there are many other areas of life in which we can leave God in the dust, right? Let us focus on the things in which we do desert God on. And ask God to forgive us for deserting Him and, and, and allow God to grow us and make us to where we rely more and more on God. We see the perplexity of Paul as these men are deserting God and the gospel of grace for a different gospel. So secondly, we see the principle of Paul. 
Though Paul is amazed that these brothers and sisters are so quickly deserting God, the the very one that called these believers by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, he says here in verse 7, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The principle that Paul wants us to understand this morning is that there is only one gospel. One Not two, not three. There's not multiple ways to get to God. There is one gospel message. There's not another. There is only one way to salvation. There is only one method by which man can be saved. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our culture, that's narrow thinking. People look at us and say we're... We're off. We're old school. You're, you're out there. There's many ways to God. Well, Scripture says that there is one way. Paul believed that there was one way. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you don't have to know all things about all these false religions. You don't have to know everything about the Jehovah's Witnesses. You don't have to know everything about the Mormons. You don't have to know everything about those that teach baptismal regeneration. That means baptism saves. You don't have to know all of these things about all these other religions. All you have to do is understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know that there's only one gospel. There's only one way. And so when these people bring stuff to you, you say, no way, get it out of my face. That's dirty, stained, and adulterated. There is only one gospel, one way to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel of salvation, listen, is from God. It's only by God's sovereign will, sovereign grace, working through faith that we can have life in Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do this morning. It's it's about what Christ has done for you and your faith in that redeeming work. That's what it's about. And Paul understands that. Paul has taught them this. Paul wants them to grasp this. Why are you deserting something that's so vitally important and and awesome and freeing and liberating? Why are you walking away from it for another gospel which is not really even true? But there are some there in those days, like in our days, that were disturbing these brothers and sisters with error. And I want you to know this morning, everywhere God is working, and I can promise you He's working in this church, Satan's at work as well. Wanting to divide this body, wanting to divide these Christians, wanting us to look at things we shouldn't worry about, instead of focusing on the important things. Wherever God's working, Satan is well at work as well. I want you to understand this morning, Christ has done it all for you, or not for you at all. There can be nothing added to the work that Jesus Christ did for our salvation. Christ doesn't need our help in saving us or He would have invited us to the cross. But instead, Christ went to the cross on our behalf and took our very place. Because no matter how good we are in this life, everything we do is done in sin. You know why? Because we're sinners. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is what the Bible says. There is none righteous, no, not one. So every good work we do, everything we think we do good for God is covered with sin. And so this morning, I want you to listen close. Stop trying to make God love you more. Do you understand that? Stop trying to do things to make God love you more. He loves you already the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you enough to send His only Son to die for you and that's more love than we could ever fathom. He loves you this morning. He loves you the way you are, sinful and all, messed up, jacked up, financially shammed, broken marriages, nasty mouth, dirty britches and all. He loves you just the way you are. Now, listen to me close. Don't miss the fact that He doesn't want you to remain there. That wouldn't be love at all. He wants us to get past that. He wants us to grow because that's not the best for you. He wants to help you move from death to life, from worse to better, from better to best, and from best to eternity, sanctified in Jesus Christ. But listen, you can't do it on your own. You can try. You can try to live by the law on your own and you can be a Christian legalist. You can live trying to make your way to God and you can be an unbelieving legalist. But it's not until you trust in the work of Jesus Christ and in His power and understand that He's given everything you need pertaining to life and to God so that you might be successful in conquering sin. Because when Christ died, we died with Christ and we're no longer the bondage of sin. The Gospel says, I got your back. Don't let these people who buy into heretical doctrine try to persuade you into something that's not biblical. We have them in this community and they are at work. Don't even let them in the house. Don't entertain the evil one. You may say, well, you know, Pastor, I think I can get these people saved. Listen, you can't save a soul, only God can. And God gives us directions in His Word, and we're fixing to see what we're supposed to do with those who preach a different gospel. Don't let them persuade you. Know the gospel. Know it inside and out. Know how to explain it to a person at the drop of a dime. Because I can promise you, God is working in the hearts of His people across this community. And I can promise you He's looking for a willing soul that's not afraid to share His faith with the individual. And they're coming to Christ left and right. And you can be a part of it or you can miss it. It is wonderful. If you've never had an opportunity to share your faith with an individual from beginning to end and watch them pray to receive Christ and see that soul come into the kingdom of God, you're missing out. There's no greater joy to see a soul come into the kingdom of God and know that they're there for eternity. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism, but we've all been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We can't use that as an out. We all have good news. The hope of Jesus Christ. We need to know it inside and out. And when we do, when we truly understand within the deepest core of our hearts that is nothing that Stuart Guthrie has done to be saved, but it's all in the work that Jesus Christ did. Listen, when we see people, we see them. We see their falsehood. We see their fakeness. We see their phoniness. And it's disgusting. But when we truly understand the gospel, that's what we're to hold on to. That's what we're to take truth of. We see this perplexity of Paul and how he's astonished, he's astounded, he's amazed at how fast they're deserting him in verse 6. We see the principle of Paul but that there's only one gospel. There's not another gospel. There's one. It's Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, that He came and He died for man and all we have to do is believe in Him. And then thirdly, we see the proposition of Paul in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I can't believe what you're doing. Exchanging the truth for a lie. I can't believe you're allowing these men to distort or to alter the true gospel for another gospel that really doesn't even exist. And then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, He is to be accursed. Paul says, look, if I or any other colleague of mine or any other apostle or even an angel from heaven preaches you a different gospel from what we've already preached to you, all of them including myself are to be accursed. That goes for all of us. Paul is saying, if I could change my teaching on this gospel, then curse even me. Though I don't think Paul would ever do that or a godly angel. But what he's trying to make clear is that no matter how good a person seems, no matter how legit their teaching seems, no matter how intriguing they are, no matter how good they make you feel, if they are preaching another gospel, get away from them. They are to be accursed. Paul has taught these people true apostles' doctrine, the unadulterated gospel message. And if there are any other preaching differently, they are to be accursed. Listen, that's strong words for us Christians. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you can't dodge it. These are strong words for us as Christians in how to treat those who preach a different gospel. If there are any other preaching different, they are to be accursed. What does Paul mean by accursed? The Greek word here, as I studied... Is anathema. Uh, originally the word anathema, which literally means something that's placed up, it referred to an object set aside for divine purposes. And so what we see is whether it's an offering in the temple, a divine purpose for a sacrifice, or one that's set aside for a divine blessing or a divine cursing. 
The point that we are trying to establish is that this word accursed means to set aside for a divine purpose. It's set aside for a divine purpose. What do you think that divine purpose would be? To bless or to curse? It would be to curse. That is righteous indignation. That is righteous anger. Listen, when Paul was convinced that the integrity of the gospel was at stake, Paul did not take lightly this matter. Now, some translations have encompassed the word that of excommunication. And so somebody may come to our church, somebody may even become a member, and then they may be infiltrated with false doctrine, and they may come in and say, you know what, Pastor, I think we need to understand that baptism saves people. We'd say, no, that's a different gospel. There's no baptism, no work that can save a person. Either you change that view or we and the elders are going to meet together and we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to implement church discipline or remove you from our community of, of believers, our church. Now that's the righteous way to handle it. But I think this word that, he, that he's using is much stronger than that. It's much stronger than that. Now I think it includes the action of church discipline. But more than that, it's committing them under God's curse. Now this isn't something we need to take lightly as people in the church. Wouldn't you agree? We need to be very, very careful in how we approach a person. And oh, how we say this person is in error and we need to curse them. We have to be very humble and discerning about making statements that someone is preaching a different gospel. The proposition, the plan, the proposal that, that Paul has laid out on the table for us as Christians is that anyone <coughs> that is preaching a different gospel is to be given over to God for judgment. Some translators say it this way, let the person be condemned to hell. That's pretty strong terminology, isn't it? It tells us how much Paul thinks, how highly he thinks of the gospel message, how seriously he takes it. We should be okay with implementing the judgment if they are truly preaching another gospel. Because we are instructed to do so in Scripture. So we better fulfill our obligations as people and followers of Christ. But when we fail to do that, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of failing to follow through with our obligations? Well, false doctrine can leak into the church. We can lose people in our church who buy into false teachings when we fail to do our jobs and to accursed people who are teaching false doctrine. We can become the, the very same churches of Galatia. The same events can happen within the church in America, which it is. Just like they took place in the churches at Galatia. We have to protect one another from heresy and watch out for our young believers in Christ so that they are not allowed to fall into this false doctrine. And we need to protect our very own church. So if you ever hear me up here, understand my heart. 
You know, I think a lot of people, they don't really know me. They don't know my heart. They don't know my care for this people, this congregation. They see me up here. They see me sometimes maybe as judgmental. But listen, I can promise you, in this book, when we're reading it, Paul is to the point. He's being very dogmatic because people are playing with the gospel message. And if we are right, which I believe we are, and and our eternal salvation hinges off of the gospel message, how dare a man trample with it? It is the most vital thing that we can hold tight to. And I will preach against a false teacher that quick to make you aware of what's going on so you can be protected. So don't look at me as judgmental. Look at me as I love you. I care about you. I don't want to see you distorted by false heresy. We have to protect each other. Listen to what he says here in 2 John 7, 10-11. He says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. I'm going to tell you right now this morning, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Preach a different gospel. If you let them into your house, this verse ought to speak to your heart. I don't want to tell you not to let them in your house. I want Scripture to tell you not to let them in your house. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house. That's instruction. Do not even give him a greeting. For one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Listen, I don't want to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and be looked at as I'm participating in these very false doctrines that are being given. We are called not even to greet the person. They are to be accursed. Our hope should be prayer for them, asking that if God in His great mercy could change their hearts and their minds and give them understanding... And so Paul, again, here repeats himself to emphasize the severity of their flirtation with false doctrine. We can't fellowship with people who preach different gospels. It's not biblical. Paul says again, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. The gospel should be, listen, the most vital, the most precious, treasured gift that we have. And it's our job to protect those around us with it. Because without that, we are all doomed. Without Jesus Christ being our saving grace, God bestowing upon us something we don't deserve, we are helpless and therefore, just like Paul, we need to stand firm upon the true gospel of grace and treat this precious gift with protective sincerity. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know the true gospel today? Do you truly understand that gospel today? That Jesus Christ died in your place that you might eternity live with God. And if you don't this morning, you lack one thing, and that's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, you will be saved. It's not in your ability. It's not in your work. It's not in what you can do. It's what Christ has done. His accomplished work on Calvary. If you haven't done that today, let the day be the day that you choose Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Believe the gospel. Let us pray.